Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are 1 Samuel chapters 28 through 31, Rabbit Trails. Today, we finish up the book of 1 Samuel, and tomorrow we move on to 2 Samuel. However, keep in mind that these were originally one book, so it really isn't so much beginning a new story as it is turning a page. In fact, the whole Bible can accurately be seen that way. There is some behavior by key characters in today's readings which conflicts with and outright goes against Yahweh's teachings. So you'll likely have some things stand out to you after having built that foundational knowledge by reading the first five books of the Bible. Recall that just because we see something in the Bible does not mean that behavior was condoned by Yahweh or in line with his will. Saul, Saul. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, and other passages in Scripture as well, warn us against seeking out mediums and consulting with the dead. But Saul marches right up and does just that, only to be told that Yahweh has already passed sentence on him and nothing can be done to stop what has been set into motion. We are told that this is part of what contributed to his death in 1 Chronicles 10, 13 through 14. Now, what prompted Saul to go to these desperate measures to begin with? 1 Samuel 28, 6 reads, And when Saul inquired of Yahweh, Yahweh did not answer him, either by dreams, or by Urim, or by prophets. Saul had been cut off from Yahweh. He was living in a state of spiritual darkness and isolation. How did he go from being the anointed king of Yahweh's chosen people to being a person Yahweh would not even answer no matter how he cried out? Where David will continue to show himself a man after Yahweh's own heart, now that doesn't mean he doesn't stumble, but when he does, he is repentant and returns to Yahweh, Saul has shown himself to be a man who feels he is above the accountability required of everyone else. Surely the God of Israel would not rebuke the king of Israel is his attitude. Did y'all hear the clap of thunder when I said that? So that happened in real life, but I'm keeping it in the notes because I think it's highly appropriate. More than that, even, he seems to justify his own sin by his own heart and thoughts. Not only is he not repentant, he does not see anything he needs to repent from. In short, he is an antinomian. An antinomian is someone who recognizes the law but feels it does not apply to him. Word time! The key concepts we need to understand are nomos, anomos, and antinomos. Nomos means law. In our case, we can think of it as Yahweh's commandments. Anomos is someone who is unaware of the law. Antinomos is someone who is aware of the law, but chooses not to obey it. Usually, this is because they either feel they don't have to obey it or that it does not apply to them. In other words, they are above the law. Saul is an antinomian, along with most people in the world today. When a father tells a child not to touch the hot stove, it's not because they want to inflict a burden upon them. It's out of love. The father is sharing his wisdom so that they may live a better life. I have a comic strip in my notes here today that you really need to check out because it depicts this perfectly. 
Saul laments to this visage of Samuel, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. He easily discerns his state and asks a pointed question that really underlines the place Saul is. Why then do you ask me, since Yahweh has turned from you and become your enemy? Samuel goes on to remind Saul that the reason this has happened is because he did not obey the voice of Yahweh. All this takes place in 1 Samuel 28, verses 15 through 19. Now, something a lot of folks overlook is that through a careful reading of the text, it's clear that no one actually saw Samuel except for the medium. Notice twice Saul asked what he looks like, 1 Samuel 28, 13 through 14. 1 Samuel 28, 19, when Samuel tells Saul that he and his sons will be with him by tomorrow, he's not referring to the heaven. At this time, Samuel was residing in Sheol, which means the grave. In some translations and at some places, Sheol is replaced with hell, but in the original text, it still means grave. We don't have to know everything when we trust the one who does. 1 Samuel 28.20, we see that Saul had not eaten. The text mentions that more than once, and even with offered him food, for a time Saul resists. It's a common belief that he was actually fasting in hope of gaining favor with the Father, or of making himself clean so that he could approach and hopefully hear from the Father. 1 Samuel 29 has something really neat taking place if you step back and look at the big picture. Here, Achish is about to go to battle with Israel, and David is all set to go. But a series of circumstances meet up at a pivotal point. David's fame, his past conquest, his lineage, etc. And David is denied the right to go into battle with the Philistines. Do you see what Yahweh just did? He prevented David from fighting against what would one day be the kingdom he ruled over. Grace upon grace, even when we don't recognize it. And here's something else. In 1 Samuel 29, 6, when the king of the Philistines tells David he can't fight with him, he praises David by using the name of Yahweh, David's God. Wow. Keep in mind the Philistines were idolaters, worshiping multiple gods and not believing in a single omnipotent God. Not only is this a show of kindness to David, but it also shows David's influence over Achish. May the Father surround us all with people who remind us who He is and who we are in Him. 1 Samuel 30, 1-5 David and his men return to find the Amalekites have taken all their women and children. The text explicitly states that they had killed no one but taken them captive. Why is this? In 1 Samuel 27, 8-9, we see that David and his men had repeatedly raided the Amalekites and their neighbors and killed all they encountered. As a result, the women and children were needed to replenish their tribe. David's people immediately became enraged and blamed him for this, even going so far as to threaten to stone him. Now this is key, 1 Samuel 36. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But. David strengthened himself and Yahweh his God. Wow, that's a huge but. What is your but? In that same situation, I think most of us would have tried to apologize to the people, tried to appease them, tried to make it up to them, or come up with some way we could right the wrong they felt we had committed. 
Most of us, in most situations, loosely equated to this one, would immediately seek some sort of compromise or sacrifice to appease the people according to their desire. But when they came to David, he immediately turned to Yahweh. As a result of David's obedience and reliance on Yahweh, they were able to reclaim everything that was taken from them and then some. Not only did the father fully restore, he gave them more than they had before. See 1 Samuel 30, verses 19 through 20. And of course, the men grumbled when they realized that David was going to share the spoil with the men who had not been able to join them. David sets them straight. For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays with the baggage. As someone who's been in a more traditional role of being a stay-at-home wife, I totally relate and appreciate to this. Towards the end of our reading today, after some missteps, we see David begin to step up to the plate and act more in line with a king and godly leader of people. And although he was correct to consult Yahweh before this battle to rescue the wives and children, it does appear to be a holy victory, and therefore, first fruits of the spoils should have gone to the father rather than be divided among his men. But there may be details we are unaware of that justify his behavior, or it may have simply been the father decided, in his wisdom and according to his purpose, to show David grace. Perhaps the Philistine commanders were on to him, and he did plan on sabotaging the battle in in the Israelites' favor. We can only guess at this point. We have seen already in our readings multiple times that grace from Yahweh is a concept and action that has been around since the beginning of time. He's always been a God of grace, and he said it perfectly in Malachi 3.6. I am God, I do not change. He has always been a God of grace. Check out David's kingly behavior in 1 Samuel 30.26. Now, be encouraged. I know you get tired. I know you have a lot going on. But when we set a date with the Father and make him a priority, not just something we do if we have time left at the end of the day, Everything changes. There are so many unimaginable blessings and just taking the time to get to know him, to study his word and to seek his face. Make a date with the father and don't stand him up. Rock Hazak. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of his word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.